If you have your Bibles, please open with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's open in prayer. Father, we come humbly before You. Lord, we recognize that You are God and God alone. That in this world, there are no other gods. Yet at times, our actions act as if there are gods, little gods, that You tell us they're not gods at all. We want to worship You, and we want to worship You alone. Your servants this morning are listening. And we ask that You would speak to our hearts. Capture our hearts. Enable us to walk in the Spirit, in the Spirit of wisdom. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 And I'm going to read at verse 15 to 17. You can read whatever translation you have. I'm going to read a little different translation today, the Christian Jewish Bible. It says, therefore, pay careful attention to how you conduct your life. Live wisely, not unwisely. Use your time well, For these are evil days, so don't be foolish, but try to understand what the will of the Lord is. We're to walk in wisdom. And if we do not walk in wisdom, then we are walking in foolishness, foolishness of the world. In fact, when the Bible speaks again, of the foolishness in the Bible, oftentimes it speaks and and uses a word fool or folly. Nabal is what it means, or Sakai. Nabal denotes a wicked person, a person who not merely lacks sense, but what we're going to see is rejects God and follows the wisdom of the world. His actions become wicked. Look with me at 1 Samuel 25, 25. It's the story about Nabal. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this, notice, worthless man, Nabal, for his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young man of the Lord who you sent, and this is the story of David, and, and David had sent his men because they had been ministering and protecting the sheep, the animals, the, the shepherds, and, and Nabal just arrogantly lashed out, selfishly, greedily, and really demonstrated he's a fool. And sometimes we can act like Nabal. It's interesting, his wife says he's worthless, and folly is with him. Notice again in, in, in 2 Samuel 24.10, now David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, Lord, please take away my iniquity of your servant, for I have acted 
foolishly. Every one of us here at some point have acted foolishly. At some point, you and I will probably act foolishly because it's what we talk about acting in the flesh and it is a sin we need to confess and we need to repent. But notice again what the scripture says in, in, in Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. And there is no one who does good. See, the fool is a person who lives apart from God. There are those that will make foolish choices and foolish decisions, but a fool is one who rejects the true and living God. He may theologically, practically be an atheist or an agnostic or both, but ultimately the fool is one who is anti-God thinking. It's in Romans chapter 1. It describes such a person. Look at Romans 1, verses 21 and 22. For even though they knew God, see, they knew God. That's every person God instills in their heart. There is a God. They know him. And we have to respond. Either we'll respond as he is God or we'll reject and suppress the truth. But notice they did not honor him as God and give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They were professing, notice, to be wise, but they became fools. See, God instills in every man a heart of worship, a desire to know him, and the ability to experience him and walk with him in God's wisdom. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for every person in this world. No matter how foolish, whether they were a fool, whether they would reject him, Christ demonstrated that love for this world. You know, isn't it amazing that we say that God could love me? And I thought about that. That's not amazing. You know why? Because God is love. The amazing thing is that God could not love us and he doesn't love us. That would be the miracle if God did not love us. Because the Bible makes it very clear. For God so Love the world. That's every single person here. No matter how unloving they are, God loved them. That would be the miracle that God would not love. And God loves you with a perfect love. And he says, I love you with an everlasting love. Look, though, at Romans again. I'll begin at verse 22 again, professing to be wise, they became fools. Notice they exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They began to fashion and worship what, who they want to worship. 
That's a fool they, because they have to reject God. They have to suppress that truth. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Again, you may have people that reject the truth that you tell them. And when they reject it, you see that they're really foolish. Now, the the question I want to ask when it says, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Are you open to the counsel of God? Will you hear his word? Will you hide it in your heart that you do not sin against him? That's the wise person. It's today that we want to hear, not me, we want to hear God speaking to us personally and individually. Notice again in Proverbs 15.2, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of the fool spouts folly. You and I, knowing, and we'll speak about this in a moment, the wisdom of God indwells in your heart and my heart, that we should be able to speak in such a way that is acceptable, where people see God and know God. Now, that doesn't mean that every person will receive Him, will acknowledge Him. But we will know how to handle the Word because we allow the Spirit to speak through us. But that mouth of the fool spouts folly. That's the unregenerate person, the person who has not been born again, because he denies that God and denies the belief about God and by his practice. He is a fool because he becomes his own God. Isn't that true? Before you became a believer that you are your own God? That everything revolved around you in this life? But when you are born again, that we decide to make him Lord and Lord of all lords, king of all kings. And it's all really about Jesus, isn't it? But ask yourself, is he the Lord of your life? Are you still on the throne in your own heart? That's the challenge. Every day that you and I open the word. Notice what, again, that a fool is the one who mocks sin. And if we are wise and in the Lord, we will not mock sin, but we'll be convicted by sin. And we'll see the sinfulness of sin. And because God loves us, he points out, it illuminates sin, and he says, this is wrong, because he loves us with that everlasting love. But a fool, on the other hand, he pollutes the rest of society with his ungodly, again, foolishness, in the end, he damns his own soul. Look at Proverbs 1, verse 29 through 32. Notice I'm reading a a different translation. It's the easy reader translation. That is because they hated knowledge, they refused to fear and respect the Lord. They ignored my advice, refused to be corrected. They filled their lives with what they wanted, They went their own way, so they will get what they deserve. Fools die because they refuse to follow wisdom. They are content to follow their own foolish ways, and they will destroy them. You know, as we've been in the Scripture, 
as we've been looking again at, at Ephesians, there's certain things that we learn, and, and we're going to be focusing on walking in wisdom today. And when you and I walk in wisdom, there are some things that we see that there's a conviction. Our behavior is going to be different. We learn to obey God. In fact, when we started this, this really, this series, it's interesting because we were learning how to walk worthy of the calling. You're a child of God that we're to act as a child of God and, and that we're to walk through this life humbly. Humbly through this life. We're to walk through this life in, in, in unity. We're to walk through this life separated from the ways of the world. That are foolishness in God's eyes because they take us away and draw us away and cause us to worship gods of this world. And we saw that when we do that, we'll be walking in love. Love the mark of a true believer. We then saw that the importance of walking in the light that our witness, just walking with Christ daily without even a word how we can win people into the kingdom. And when they come and ask, and we can speak words of wisdom that will be accepted by those that God is working in. But today, it's walking in wisdom. Now, does anyone stumble in walking in wisdom? Hint, I think all of us struggle every day in walking in wisdom. I used to liken myself to a bull in a china shop. Everyone understands that, don't you? We just start running and and not even thinking. And that's foolishness in the Lord. It's not rejecting the Lord, but in a sense, it's putting my priorities before God's priorities. What is priority in your life? Is it God's priorities? Is it God's glory? Is it God's will? Well, look with me. Walking in wisdom is, is really, again, is, is a careful walk. Verse 15 in our text today, it says, therefore, be careful how you walk. That's Ephesians 5, verse 15 in your text, in your Bible. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not unwise men, but as wise men. Be careful. That means I need to be conscious contemplating how the world is going to see my actions. Also, is this walk one that glorifies God? It's not being the bull in a china shop and running and just knocking everything over and then say, oh Lord, help me now. It's starting with the Lord. See, a wise brother and sister, he pays careful attention to his walk, and to his conduct. The literal meaning, again, of that, that word be is to, to look, to observe, to watch this walk, these actions, these decisions, this place I'm going. How is it going to affect the, the kingdom of God? How is it going to affect the glory of God? Is it going to help me in my walk or is it going to hinder my walk? Is it going to help me in reaching others or is it going to stumble others? That we seriously, again, Paul commands the believers to to see that they walk carefully. And I thought about this. You know, when I I began 
and pray in the morning and I begin my studies. How often do I pray, Lord, help me be very conscious of the decisions I make. Sometimes we say, Lord, bless me in what I do this day, but we're not saying, Lord, let me see what is important. Let me see how my life and my decisions affect others. Make me so aware of my walk that it changes my life. It changes my direction. It changes the attitudes around me. Matthew 7, verse 26 and 27, I'm sure you know it. Everyone who hears these words of mine but does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. When we come to the Bible, we need to heed, we need to listen. When we hear what God is saying to us and we choose to walk in His ways, we're walking in wisdom. But if we choose to reject, well, that's fine for someone else, another church, for my wife, for my husband, for my kids. But if we reject it ourselves, we're walking in foolishness. And when I begin to point my finger at others, then I'm not hearing from God myself. I have another agenda When I come to God, I I need to hear Him. I need to see Him. I need to let Him search my heart and see if there's any wicked way because God loves me so much He doesn't want me to walk foolishly. He doesn't want me to walk in sin. He has already set me free and I am now to walk in the truth as He walks in the truth. And that one that knows the truth, the truth will set him free. Christians are to walk wisely rather than unwisely. Why? Because they're God's beloved children. You are His beloved. What an awesome thought. Now, I I, I believe that, and I know this is reading between the lines, but I believe that God has a word for every one of us, a special name. I have a special name for my wife. I won't tell you what that is. But it's, it's a term of, you know, uh, intimate relationship. Something that's just between her and, and me. And I believe that God is going to give you, as a, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, talks about a new name. And it's going to speak of what He has done in your life as you've surrendered your life to Him. And that hope is in Him. Paul again, commands us as believers to walk, walk as wise men. Why? Because we're saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His work. He demonstrated that love as we talked about. And that that walking again in wisdom is walking in humility. It's walking in unity. It's walking in separation from this world. The ways of the world, the wisdom of the world... It's walking in love. It's walking in light. And that's how you walk in wisdom. That we make Him the priority of our life. At salvation, every believer is made wise. 
You'll suppress that truth. See, the truth that is instilled in you and me, the word of God that's washing your mind, cleansing you. The Holy Spirit takes that word and works in you. That's the wisdom of God. When God indwells your heart, the wisdom of God indwells you. We have to suppress that. Oftentimes we can be guilty like a dog returning to its vomit, going back and hanging out in places we shouldn't do. People that we shouldn't hang out with. Certainly we want to be a witness. We're to be in this world, but not of this world. But we have to set aside those previous relationships, those habits and patterns that were taking us away from Christ. That's walking in wisdom. It's being in the Word. And letting the Word be in us. Where the Word becomes flesh in us. That we no longer have to think about it in one way. I think you guys are going to be very proud of me. I know how to tie my shoes. And I don't, I don't need to think about it anymore. It is just a natural thing when I begin to tie my shoelaces. I don't have to think, which one do I curl first? No, I just do it. And when the word indwells in our heart, we no longer have to think what is right or wrong because we know what is right and we can discern it because the Spirit of God is leading us and guiding us and it's instilled and it's washed and cleansed. We've been deprogrammed and reprogrammed with the very Word of God, the wisdom of God that's in us. And the Spirit will guide you in all that truth. Notice 2 Timothy 3.15, that from a childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Scripture, the Word, how busy are you in your life? Sometimes people say, I don't have enough time to read. They do other things. They make a priority. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life and you're a true believer, he will be sovereign in your life and you will put him first in your life. Look with me at 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in you. That's the Spirit of God. That's the wisdom of God. Living and dwelling in each heart. And we are commanded to walk in the wisdom, the wisdom of God. Because it's indwelling in our hearts. Look at Colossians 2.3. In whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is referring to Jesus Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is in him which indwells in your heart. And we need to draw from that. To yield our lives to him. John wrote of the Holy Spirit, the resident, think about this, the truth teacher in the life of every believer in John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, he will guide you in all truth. I'm just going to stop there. See, there's a spirit of truth and he will guide you in all truth. And what we do is we lean upon him. We rely upon him to guide us and show us the wisdom and the truth of God's word. The truth when we're witnessing to people and comforting people and just living 
a life as a father, as a mother, as a grandfather, as a grandmother. I need wisdom in my marriage. How many others need wisdom? That wisdom for me is keep my mouth shut. I don't know what kind of wisdom you need. I need a lot of wisdom. I actually need a lot more wisdom than that. Because my flesh wants to pop its head up all the time. And I need to hear that still, quiet voice. Shut up, Ron. Yeah, that's the wisdom of God speaking because you know it's true here that sometimes the best thing you can do is just sit and listen and let God speak. Look at First John 2, 20 and 21. But you have anointing from the Holy One, you all know. And I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, because no lie is in the truth. You know, this is in the context of false teacher. You have anointing. That means the Holy Spirit. He tells you what is right or wrong. That means you have that feeling sometimes that, A red flag goes up. Something's wrong with this picture. I need to step back. I need to turn this off. I need not share anymore. Go any further. But we can suppress that truth. We can suppress that spirit, that Holy Spirit. Walking in wisdom is yielding and surrendering our life to the Holy Spirit. We cannot have Salvation without God's wisdom any more than we can have salvation without righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And there is no salvation apart from repentance. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, notice, bringing salvation to all men. It should be highlighted in green. Yes, it is. That's grace. That's the grace of God. Bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age. Are you ever tempted in ungodly things? Don't even hold your hands up. Yes, every day. That's why we need the wisdom of God. And we need God himself to guide us and and say, you know what? I have something so much better for you than this. You can have my peace. You can have my love. You can have my presence and my assurance. The very first instruction in the gospel to save people is to renounce and forsake sin. To live godly, and righteous lives, that instruction or wisdom is part of the new birth. It's not something subsequent. He opens your heart, your mind, you're born again. At the same time, he says, put off ungodliness and put on righteousness. That's what walking and wisdom teaches us, to put off ungodliness and put on godliness. That's the life that He's called you and me. That's the life that is a light unto this world. 
That's love in action, showing your love first to God and then showing the love for others because it shows that I love God, I know that his ways are better and that I'm going to share that love with you. Jesus made it clear in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And then Matthew 5, 6, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. See, when the wisdom of God comes into your life, what happens is you recognize for the first time you're like, this is sin, this is wrong. The believer then mourns and grieves over his sin. And you know what? It gives, in verse 4 it says, they will be comforted. My comfort is in Christ. Knowing that my sins are forgiven and that he started this work and he'll finish this work in me just as he will in you and every believer who trust in him. And look back at verse 6 again. And blessed are those who hunger. Hunger and thirst for his righteousness. Man, I don't need to worry about anything anymore because they're going to find satisfaction. They're no longer enemies of God. They're friends of God. They're children of God. Look at Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 9. In Him, if that's in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of grace. And notice what He does in verse 8. He lavishes on us. In all wisdom and insight, He's made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him. Look at Galatians now, chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. A person who's born again that learns to walk in the Spirit, he now has this Spirit of love. And if he has a Spirit of love, then this tells how he's going to walk. He's going to walk in joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Look again in Acts 6.3. Therefore, brethren, select among you seven men of good reputation. Notice they needed to be full of spirit and of wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. Believers, while they're looking for deacons here, are to be full of the spirit. And we're going to talk about this message next week. And they're full of wisdom. The world may think we're full of it. They just don't know who's in us and what he's doing. Look again at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom of teaching. Notice, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing thankfulness in your hearts to God. When I got saved, when I went to a church, I was in a cult-like church, and I came to this one particular church, and the church I came from, again, they didn't allow instruments. They sang at God. But when I went into this church, the people were singing to God. And you guys today were singing to God. Not at a wall, not at a ceiling, not at a worship team, to God who is worthy of all praise and all glory. By the way, that's walking in the light 
That's walking in love. When a believer begins his new life in Christ, all the wisdom is necessary for him to live in the Lord. All the wisdom. God has held nothing back from you that's good and necessary. But a person who is in Christ needs to continually grow in that wisdom. He is to mature and become faithful and to be more productive in his service to the Lord, whether it's in this individual group here or it's in the community. That we are to grow in that love and grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, knowing what he would have us do. That's the kind of living from which God's wisdom has separated us from the world. It's different. Look at Luke 24-25. This is the, the road to Emmaus when Jesus is walking with the two disciples. They don't recognize him. And he's speaking to them and, and actually rebuking them. And he said to them, O oh, foolish men, slow to heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. How many times we come to the Word of God and we're foolish. We, we don't want to accept what the Word of God says. God has spoken. God says what He means and means what He says. And that, in reality, faith tells us that's good enough. That God wants the best for each of us. Galatians 3.1 And they're dealing with legalism and several other things, but notice what it says, you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ is publicly portrayed as crucified. Notice they were bewitched. They were drawn away from the truth. The truth is in Jesus Christ alone. It's not enough just to praise Him and sing to Him, but it's to walk in the truth as He walks. And that we are to be careful in that walk. John 7, I'm going to begin at verse 14. It says, but... When it is now in the midst of the feast, of Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. Oh, let me stop here for a second. I want to share something. If you're reading the book of John, forgive me, I don't remember the exact verse. But it's talking about one of these feasts. Feasts were always to the Lord. You can do a search and find it. But when it comes to the book of John, it's describing really the background. It's describing the setting it was no longer a feast to the Lord. It was a feast to the Jews. Sometimes that's true of people coming to church. It's their feast. It's about them. It's not. It's about the Lord. We are to remember what He has done for us. So Jesus again, okay, it's going to be speaking in our passage, but when it was now the, the midst of this feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. And the Jews then were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned and having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching's not mine, but his who has sent me. If anyone, here's the key, if anyone is willing to do his will, he'll know whether the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. You know, that, that thing that caught me there is, if anyone is willing to do his will, and that's something that I think every day I, I, I need to reevaluate my life. Am I willing to do whatever he tells me to do today? Am I willing to go any place that he would have me go today? No conditions. 
If he says go, would you go? Would you quit your job? Would you move abroad? That's what God requires. If anyone desire, again, you know the passage, if anyone desire to come after him, he must deny himself. Pick up his cross, follow daily. That's, that's what God requires. That's what the wisdom of God will do in your life. It will cause you to say, you know what? My life is not important. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And we will go. It's the willingness that he's looking for. He may never call you to go someplace else, but are you willing to do whatever his will is? It's interesting though, many people in this world fanatic about ideology and and religion and the fad and, and communists that, that are devoted, so devoted to the party, they will deny themselves everything and give the, the money over to the party so everyone will become a, a communist, a cultist. All of his money goes to the guru and he puts it in his pocket. What are you devoted to? Is it God and his wisdom? Well, walking in wisdom is also redeeming the God-given opportunities. Yes, God-given opportunities. I call them divine appointments. How many have experienced a divine appointment? You're, you're going here and all of a sudden there's something, never planned it. You're sharing, you're praying, you're ministering, you're serving. You had other plans, other agendas. But God changed it. And when you're obedient, you're willing to do His will, you end up saying, Lord, thank you for what you allowed me to be a part of. Look at verse 16 in our text again. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Is there any question that the days are evil we're in? I think they're more evil. They were wicked then, but they're more evil. It's more open, more blatant. At younger ages, whole families are wicked and evil. It's interesting, that word that's used for time, it's not chronos, which would refer to the time on the clock that's up there. No, it's kairos. It's speaking of a measured, again, allotted or fixed season, which speaks of those opportunities that God has in life for you and me to minister, you and me to proclaim who He is to share our faith, or or just feed somebody who needs feeding, or pray with somebody, be kind to somebody. Opportunities, divine opportunities. Colossians 4.5 says this, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. How many opportunities just slip through our fingers? Oh gosh. You know, I, I just didn't feel bold enough or I was tired or, or this or that. Or is any, no, don't even hold your hands up. God wanted you to share with somebody, but you know what? You had an opinion about them. They're not going to listen. An opportunity to sow a seed, maybe to water what has already been sown. God has set, again, boundaries in our life. Well, what do I mean boundaries? Again, these boundaries, it's time. We only have so much time on this planet. 
Please understand, your days are marked. My days are marked. Not by 75 or 70 or 60, but God has a plan for each of us. He knows when you're born and when you die. And what we are to do is, because time is short, to buy back this idea. Make the most. It's buying back like a slave would be bought back. It's redeeming the time. I didn't get saved until I was about 45 years old. What a wasted life. I don't want to miss one opportunity. What about you? Are you willing to miss another opportunity that God gives you or me? Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, So teach us to number our days that we may present you a heart of wisdom. Man, what a prayer. Lord, teach us to number our days. Let me show you. Lord, show me how few the days are that I have left. Help me to realize the shortness of this time that I, I, I will seize every opportunity that you give me. Paul's pleading with us. With the church there in Ephesus. Seize these opportunities. Make the most of your time. Walk wisely, making the most of the time. Don't let it slip through your fingers. You may not have another day. And you may not. Years ago, there's a story of a man that was on the radio. And he was sharing that, um, again, he says, just what I'm saying, you may not have another day. He was a DJ. You don't know. He got in his car, he went down the freeway, and he was killed on the freeway that day. And of course, that went out on the Christian radio, and they all heard about it. And boy, did that have an impact. How many deaths have to occur around us before we realize we may not have another day ourselves? This may be the last time to share with your family, with your friends, with your boss. And Paul's pleading with us to make the most of this time. Redeem this time for the glory of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those in the household of faith. If we're walking carefully through life, we're, we're looking, God, what do you want me to see? And that we want to follow you where you lead. We make a conscious choice each day. Be careful how you walk. Make the most of the time. Matthew 23, 37. Again, Jesus weeping as he comes into Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those who sent her? How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under the wings, but you were unwilling. The scripture predicted the very day that he would come riding in on a donkey and they didn't seize the opportunity as unbelievers to become a believer and it slipped through their hands. Jesus weeping. You can grieve the Holy Spirit if we do not seize the opportunities that God has given us. But I think the most graphic one of all is Judas. Iscariot, who walked with the Lord 
for roughly three years and wasted the time, the opportunity to grow and know and serve and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no more time, no more hope for Judas. There is still time, there's still hope for you and me as long as we're alive. But it means an attitude change. No longer living for ourselves, but really denying ourselves and willing to pick up the cross and follow him. Look at James 4, 13 and 14. You know the verses. Come now. You who say today, tomorrow, we will go such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet you do not even know your life will be like tomorrow. You are just like vapor appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And isn't that true of our life? Why do we have to make the most of, of this time? Because the days are evil. There's going to come a point where they will no longer listen Hearts are hardening. Our kids are being drawn away because we will not seize the opportunities to be the fathers, the mothers, the grandmas, the grandpas, to speak to those that God brings into our lives. The world's full of greed and dishonesty and immorality, and yet that was the problem in in Ephesus. And that's the problem in this world today. And yet some of those things still seem to be resident in the lives of believers universally. That's why we're to examine ourselves and see if we're of the faith. Do our actions line up? Are we walking in love? Are we walking in love? Are we walking in wisdom? And next week we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit. And after that, we begin another little series within Ephesians, which is walking in harmony. That's a hard one to walk in harmony with everyone else, isn't it? It's hard to walk in harmony with unloving people, unkind people. But we are called to. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. Jesus speaking to the church there, he says, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, but you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they're not. You found them to be false. See, lots within the church have this knowledge. They know what's right and they know what's wrong. He goes on in verse 4 and 5, look with me, but I have this against you. You've left that first love. Have you left that first love? He goes on to say, therefore remember where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, else I'm coming to you and I'll remove the lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now that lampstand, and I believe in the context of this passage here, that lampstand just speaks of influence. If we do not confess and repent, we do not go back and do the things we used to do, we have no more influence in this world. Whether it be an individual life or a congregation or the body of Christ. That's why we need to seize the opportunities. I was speaking to someone yesterday. Now go back and do what you used to do. I don't know what I did when I first got saved. And I thought, how sad that is. 
when you were in the Word, when you were praying, when you were in fellowship, when you were loving everyone, when you were telling people about Jesus? Walking in wisdom is understanding the will of God. Walking in wisdom is understanding the will of God. So many people through the years, I meet in the community here and there and say, I don't know what the will of God is. Have you heard that before? And they'll apply it, first of all, to their own life. I don't know what the the will of God is for my life. But if we are to walk in wisdom, again, the text makes it very clear, is we are to be understanding of what the will of God is. Look at verse 17. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I cannot walk in God or with God until I understand his will. If I don't know what his will is, how can I be walking with him? Again, unless two agree, how can they walk together? I need to agree what his will is. And the Bible is very clear. But it's only clear when we come to the Bible and we say, Lord, speak to our hearts. He begins and repeats, do not be foolish. How many times have you had to repeat to your kids when they're growing up, do not, do not, don't do, don't do. And yet our Heavenly Father has to say the same thing to us through someone else. Do not be foolish. It reinforces his plea for believers, again, important, again, to not be unwise, but be wise. Be careful in that walk. To be aware of of the consequences and the decisions I make and how it's going to affect God. Not being foolish not being alarmed or nervous or afraid or overwhelmed or angered or, or bitter about the evil in this world. No, it is. The Bible's already told us what it's going to be like in those end times. But to be calm and seize the opportunities that God's given us. To pray that God would change the heart. To understand what the, the will of the Lord is for you and me. Again, The wise are walking, remember, first of all, in love. That's God's will. Because that's the mark of every believer. Walking in the light. As he's in the light. That our lives are to have an influence upon the world around us. But when our priorities are not his priorities, it's hard for God to work through us, isn't it? Because he will not force you or me. He'll let us have our own way, that submissive will. We can submit to ourselves or we can walk in that perfect will, which is God's way. But see, Psalm 37, verses 3 and 6, notice what it says. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in Him and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and the judgment as the noonday. What do we need to do? Trust. Dwell. Cultivate that faithfulness in our life. Commit 
our ways to the Lord. And God takes care of the rest. We have a hard time getting that point, don't we? That's why it's so important to take this and and hide in our hearts. Let me read a few more verses and just show you what God's will is and we'll kind of finish right there. John 16, 13 says this, but when He, the Spirit of truth comes, He'll guide you in truth. Now just stop there for a second. We've given the Spirit of truth, He'll guide you. Jump to the next verse for me, 1 Timothy 2, verses 2 through 4. Notice again, those are in yellow. He wants us to lead a tranquil, quiet life in all goodness and dignity. And he desires that all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm just lifting out those key verses. Ephesians, we'll see next week, again, 518. And do not get drunk with wine for that dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit or under that influence of the Spirit, no longer of anything in this world. Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Notice that key word, sanctification, that we would be sanctified, we would be made holy. 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, Boy, that usually gets people worked up. But God's the one that raises them up and he's the one that lowers them. He will accomplish his purpose. Our part is to vote. Our part is to pray. Notice again, by doing right, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. To do the right thing in all situations, no matter whether somebody is wrong or not, don't return evil for evil. But when somebody's evil, to return good. Look at verse 17 of Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, in everything, give thanks. That we are to go through this life thankful. Thankful to God what He allows in our life. Thankful that He's coming again for you and me. Thankful that he snatched us out of this miry clay and he has a purpose and a plan for you. Let's look back at our text, Ephesians 5, 15 and 17 in your Bible there. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Just as I read those last verses, it's all through the Bible what the will of God is. Life is a gift from God. Will we make our life count in the kingdom of God for the glory of God? Father, that is our desire today that we would make our lives count for You and that we would no longer live for ourselves but live for You. That, Lord, that we would be the people You would have us be. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.